This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. What must I do to be saved? It was the question the Philippian jailer asked when God used an earthquake to break the chains of his prisoners, Paul and Silas. And it's the question millions have asked for centuries since. It is perhaps the most important question to be asked, but even more important is the answer given in response. Today, our guest will help us to explore salvation and its application for our lives. Dr. Dave Anderson is back with us today, president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is professor of biblical languages and systematic theology. He is a biblical language scholar, having earned his doctorate in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature, and he is author of numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, and Free Grace Soteriology, which is our subject matter for today. Welcome back, Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Carmen. Glad to be here. So glad you're here. Well, you know, today we're touching on the second topic in a new course offered by Grace School of Theology called The Grace of God. And in recent weeks, we had Dr. Ken Wilson on, and he talked about the sovereignty of God. Can you tell us a little bit more about this course and perhaps who would benefit from taking it? Well, I think anyone who's interested in the question you raised, what must I do to be saved, uh, would be interested in it because we do give an overview of what we teach here in the school and just the basics, uh, dealing with grace and sovereignty, things like that. Well, I certainly am enjoying going through the course as I prepare for these podcasts, and uh, I know that our listeners will be looking forward to hearing more about that in the days to come. Well, we have titled this particular podcast, What Must I Do to Be Saved?, And I guess for most listeners, uh, that question usually means in their mind, what must I do to get to heaven? So we want to learn today uh, about the definitions of words, perhaps, that are, are misinterpreted, the context of those words that are misinterpreted in Scripture. But first, if you could tell us, why do we need a Savior? Well, we need a Savior because we're... In, in, the, in the spiritual sense, because we're separated from God, uh, and we need to be reconciled to God. <clears throat> and it's our sin that separates us from God. So uh, somewhere along the line, I must be convinced that I'm a uh, sinaholic, is the way I like to put it. Yes. Uh, that I can't stop sinning, and I need to be saved from that. And uh, what Christ did on the cross, of course, was to remove that barrier of sin between us and God so we could be reconciled to him. Yes, yes. You know, there's some people listening that may be saying, well, you know, I'm I'm actually pretty good. I don't do anything that's illegal. I, I don't do anything that my mom's ashamed of. So, so maybe I'm not a sinner. So how do we determine what a sinner is? You know, I had that uh, issue with my mother. She was just a really, really, really good person. And after I became a Christian, I used my Bible and mm-hmm. I kind of beat her on the head for about six years. And <laughs> she just couldn't believe she was a sinner. And then one day, I remember sitting in the rec room at home visiting for Christmas. 
And she walked in and she said, you know, I think I am a sinner. And I kind of looked up, you, mom? I mean, could it be? Say it isn't true. And she said, "Uh, no, I think uh, I sin every day in the things I think and say about people. Mm. And it's so true that usually when we think of sin, uh, we so often think of these, you know, stealing or lying or whatever. Uh, But probably most of our sin is on the inside. Mm. It's what we think about people and what we say about people on the outside. Uh, just attitudes of superiority, judgmentalism, contempt, pride, you know, is a big one, obviously. Yes. So yes. Uh, uh, I used to go door to door with another pastor I was training in evangelism, and uh, he had a different way of coming at it. He'd, he'd look at the guy he was trying to share with, and he'd say, Bob. And do you know anyone who's perfect? And everyone's going to say, well, no, I don't. Yeah. And he'd just jump right in from there and say, well, that's right. We've all sinned mm. and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm. So I <laughs> thought that was an interesting way of going at that it. That is. That yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, so it is important to recognize that we need a Savior. Well, you know, many have known since childhood, if they grew up in the church, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I remember learning that in, in elementary uh, school. Uh, but it's often assumed that all four of those books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, share the Gospel. Uh, we can learn how to get to heaven in those four books. But you say not necessarily so. <laughs> Explain. Well, it's one of the questions, one of the first questions I ask my students when I teach them soteriology, which is a course on how to be saved or how to get to heaven. I ask them uh, if they can get me to heaven from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I give them just three uh, of the Gospels. And I actually say, I've just had a car wreck. Imagination here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know God's out there, but I only have two minutes to live. I give you Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Can you get me to heaven? And usually I go throughout the two minutes, and they can't think of a single verse. Mm. Now, there are a few verses, but not many. It's actually hard to find the verses that teach us how to go to heaven from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, the word saved is in there a lot, but uh, usually it's for uh, things like, well, Matthew 8.25, disciples came to him and awoke him and saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Well... They're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and the waves are high, and they're afraid they're going to drown. So when he says, save us, he's obviously talking about some sort of physical salvation. Yes, and it's obvious in that, mm-hmm. isn't it? In that or, or the passage. very next uh, usage is in Matthew 9, where it, uh, it says the, the woman with an issue of blood is saying, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be saved. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. same word in the Greek, sozo. Now, it's translated here, I shall be made well, because the translator knows he's talking about another form of physical salvation, where the disciples were talking about salvation from physical death, if they were drowned. This woman is talking about salvation from physical disease. She shall be made well. And the next use is about that. In fact, you go through the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very few times does the word save ever refer to going to heaven. It's usually something else. Now, the reason for that is we would say that only one gospel is written explicitly uh, for evangelism, Mm -hmm. and that's John. Uh, 
the word believe is mentioned in John 99 times. Wow. Uh, that being the sole requirement uh, on our part for our going to heaven. But he says at the end of the book in John twenty thirty one that the signs he's written about in this book, and he could have written a lot more, but he says, these are written that you may believe, comes that word believe again, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, that's at the end of the book, just about. We're in chapter 20 at the end. And he yes. He said, I wrote this book. This is the reason. That you might believe, mm. and you could have life in his name. Now, no other book makes that claim. Uh, uh, no book even among the epistles makes that claim. So, of the four Gospels, we would say this is the only one written explicitly that we might have eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean the word gospel isn't in some of these others. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, for example, first chapter, uh, Jesus himself is preaching in Galilee. And he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, you say, well, there it is. Just believe in the gospel. Well, what gospel? He says in verse 14, the immediately preceding verse, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Mm. Now, gospel just means good news. Yes. So the good news he's talking about here is not, I'm going to die on a cross someday and take your sins away. You know, that comes later. That's later, right. But as he begins his ministry, he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, the good news is the king is here. The promised Messiah has come. I am he. So accept me as your Messiah, and I'll set up my kingdom. That was the good news. Yes. And that's what he was preaching as he went along in his ministry. Finally, the Pharisees make it clear they're never going to receive him, so he changes his direction somewhat. But just because the word gospel is on a book doesn't mean it's about the uh, good news that Jesus can give you eternal life. You know. So uh, context is just yeah, critical. Context is king. Oh, it absolutely is. Three most important rules of real estate. Location, location, location. <laughs> Same with Bible right. study. Location, uh -huh. location, location. Yes. Oh, that's so important. Because I think of so many uh, passages that are taken out of context uh, just to back up uh, their presuppositions about uh, the particular topic. Well, even even on, on that issue, when we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are certainly passages there that many theologians take and say this is about getting to heaven. So uh, is it because they're taking out of context? Is it What is it that's, that's causing the confusion for theologians who are uh, misusing these passages to mean how to get to heaven? Well, I think we carry so much pre-understanding when we read our Bibles. After years and years of listening to preachers and reading certain books, for example, this word saved we just talked about. Almost always uh, we think in the, in the sense of uh, this is going to get you to heaven when you die. Uh, I need to get saved. Have you been saved? That kind of thing. But as we just saw, the first few uses, uh, except one, in the early part of Matthew, it doesn't mean that at all. It has nothing to do with spiritual salvation. Mm. So that's one of the problems. Um, another problem is when you have the word soul coupled with saved. Well, then it's got to be evangelism, you would think. And so one of the most famous passages is in Matthew 16, 24. Yes. And uh, this is where Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his 
life will lose it. Whosoever loses life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? So when you see the word save and you see the word soul kind of close to each other, we just assume, well, that's saving souls. That's right. evangelism. That's right. That's right. But a lot of, you want me to go on and talk? Sure. Right. Let's save. Sure. Uh, uh, there are a lot of problems with that. For example, if that's how you get to heaven, then you get to heaven through self-denial and suffering. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow him. And there are books out there from really good and godly men who say that is how you get to heaven. You, uh, you have self-denial. Of course, that's what the Roman Catholic Church has taught for centuries. That's why they have self-flagellation and various other forms of yeah. self-denial. The whole monk movement or monastery movement was to pull away from the world and engage in self-denial. Asceticism, which is denial of, of the flesh. Well, so that's one problem. If this is how we get to heaven, uh, then we get there through self-denial, through personal suffering. In other words, not only does Jesus have to suffer, we have to suffer as well. We have to add our suffering and self-denial to his suffering and self-denial. Another problem in this passage would be how it ends. Verse 27 starts with the word for. Mm -hmm. Well, verse 26 started with the word for. Verse 25 starts with the word for. And that tells us we have a daisy chain of logic going on here. Verse 24 talks about this taking up your cross. Verse 25 says for. So it's explaining verse 24. Well, verse 26 starts with for. So it's explaining verse 25 or verse 25 and 24. Verse 27 starts with four. So it's explaining the preceding verses. 24 through 27 are one section. Yes. But listen to 27. In other words, this is where this passage is going. He starts off saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, follow me. And then 4, 4, 4, when you get to the end here, he says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each man according to his works. He will reward each man according to his works. So we would say this is not a passage about how to go to heaven. This is a passage about rewards that he will give to each according to his faithfulness, his works, his life after he become a, becomes a Christian. We call this a passage on discipleship. And he's trying to motivate his disciples uh, to this kind of life of self-denial because ultimately he says, if you do that, it doesn't open the gates of heaven for you. I've done that mm -hmm. through the cross. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is give you an opportunity to bring glory to God forever and ever, ever and ever uh, through the works that we do. Again, here's the problem. If this is a passage on how to get to heaven, then clearly this says you get there by your works. That's right. It says he will reward Very each clearly. man according to his works. Mm -hmm. So uh, most of us who are Protestants would say that's an issue. Uh, because, as uh, I've mentioned before, Larry Moore says, well, there are three types of people who name the name of Christ. Some think you have to follow his example and live a life of good works to go to heaven. And if that's true, then Christ didn't have to die, did he? That's right, he sure did. Others would say, no, you, you have to believe in Jesus, and he had to die for you, but you also have to add your own good life and good works. 
Well, that's true. And then Jesus didn't he do didn't enough. He didn't do enough. Right? That's right. Yeah. And the others that say he paid it all. Mm. And that's where we would fall, that he paid it all to remove this barrier of sin between us and God so we can be reconciled to him. And that opens the gates of heaven. But that's just the starting blocks of the Christian life. The New Testament presents it uh, that the end game isn't getting to heaven when you die. That's really an influence that came into Christianity from Plato, Neoplatonism, and then Augustine uh, around 400 AD brought that in. But that's the starting point, and then we run a race. Hebrews 12 talks about the race that's set before us. Because so, we're preparing mm-hmm. to spend eternity with him. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's, it's a, what happens in eternity is, is really what's critical about our preparation now. Because we will stand before him. He will judge the works that we've done. Mm-hmm. But it's for those rewards. And that takes us back into this passage. Uh, yes. It takes us back to the word saved and the word soul. Now, it's very interesting. In verse 25, you have the word that's translated soul in verse 26. Only in verse 25, it's translated life twice. Whosoever desires to save his life, that's the word translated soul in the next verse. But whosoever loses his life for my sake, that's the word translated soul in the next verse. And verse 26 and 25 are connected by this word F-O-R. That means verse 26 is explaining verse 25. Mm -hmm. So you have this word for uh, soul used four times. Two times in verse 25, two times in verse 26. So if the second verse, verse 26, is explaining the first verse, verse 25, then you would use the word the same way in both verses. So it should either be life, 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 or soul, 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 soul. You shouldn't change from life, life to soul, soul. Now, this is getting complicated, but let me try to uh, make this more simple. Uh, The word suke, if you look that up in your uh, New Testament concordance, you'll find it's used 105 times. Of those 105 times, about half of them are talking about your inner being, your mind, emotion, and will, your Mm -hmm. psyche, Mm -hmm. the way we use it in English. Yes. The other half of the time is just talking about your time on earth. It's talking about your life. Your life, physical life. Yeah. So if I were to say, Carmen, what would you like to do with the rest of your life? Mm. You don't say, well, that's a nutty question. You you think a moment and you say, well, and you give me an answer. And what's going over in your mind? You're thinking between now and the time I am either raptured or die. Exactly. You're talking about a length of time. Mm -hmm. If I talk to a 16-year-old and say, Johnny, would you like your life to count for Christ? Mm. He knows what I'm asking. Yes. Life is referring to his time on earth from the moment I ask that question until he dies or is raptured. So it's it's a period of time. It's it's the number of days you have on earth, and nothing's more precious than your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty old now, so when I was growing up, uh, there was a TV program called This Is Your Life. Yes. And he would bring up uh, a, a person, usually uh, a celebrity, and then he would parade in all the people from his grammar school days all the way down to the present. And these people represented different segments of time in his life. And he says, this is your life. Well, Jesus will do the same thing someday when we appear before him. And we don't get to appear before him if we're not already in his family. Mm-hmm. But when we appear before him, he's going to say, what did you do with your life? And there'll be a pass and review. And he's saying your life can either be saved or your life can be lost in the sense that if it's saved, then it's a life that counted 
for eternity. If it's lost, then it was a life that was wasted when it comes to eternal things is concerned. Obviously, he's concerned about eternal things. And again, context is king. Yes. If you go right back before this key passage, you'll see this is where Peter gets an A for the day because he has the right answer on who Jesus is. That's right. right. Who do you say and that So he's am? kind of you know, mm-hmm. pounding his chest and strutting and everything, saying, what's the matter with the rest of you flunkies? I mean, you couldn't <laughs> get this right? This is obvious. Right. And then uh, Jesus says, well, uh, just to let you know, uh, guys, that uh, I'm going to go up and to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things, and I'll be killed and raised the third day. Well, Peter pulls him aside. He says, now, Lord, you've just made it clear. I'll be your right-hand man in the kingdom. And we need to go set up that kingdom. After all, you were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And all this Jerusalem stuff and this killing stuff, uh, that doesn't really fit in. So what does God do? What does Jesus do? Uh, He says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, a stumbling block. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then he goes right into this passage on self-denial. So what he's trying to tell Peter and, and the rest of the guys is, look, uh, you're more concerned about the things of this life than the things of the next life. I want you to realize if you'll, in the eyes of the world, give up this life for my sake, you'll find it. But if you save your time on earth, your life for your selfish desires to set up your kingdom where you're king and you're master of your fate, all those things, you're going to lose it. Mm. And what what do you lose? What You don't necessarily... You could die early, depending on what you do. But let's say you live a full life, you live till 90. You could still lose the significance of that time on earth if it's, not, if it's not a life lived for God and his glory. Yes. So that, I think, is what this passage is about. And yes. I think it makes uh, perfect sense. It absolutely does. Because uh, we, uh, you know, we, we realize then that we are just a dot on a line and uh, here in our time on earth. But what we do now really prepares us so that when we stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, uh, these again, as you've pointed out, are for believers who are going to stand before him and give account for all of our words and deeds. Uh, that is where he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, and and we will be given the rewards. Uh, if I could, just yes. one more Explanation here in verse yes. 26. Uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own? Suke is the Greek word here. Yes. His own life, I would say. What will a man give in exchange for his life? Uh, when I'm working with my students, uh, uh, in fact, I'll just do this with you right here. Uh, this is all pretend, by the way. Uh-huh. All right, let's pretend that I am a representative of Bill Gates. Bill Gates has become a Christian and he wants to give. Uh, a lot of money to Christian causes. And I come to you and say, uh, Carmen, I know you have a heart for God. You'd like to help his kingdom purposes. I'll tell you what, I'm representing Bill Gates and I can give a million dollars to each charity of your choice. Would you like that? Oh, that'd be great. Awesome. So I'll put that in the bank today. Mm-hmm. This is Friday. Mm-hmm. It's available to you on Monday. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you draw on it, you die. Mm. Deal? All right, well, let me think about this now. <laughs> Most people yes. are going to say no. It's right. <laughs> so then I say, well, um, Carmen, what you don't understand is uh, uh, Bill has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I can give $10 million to each of your charities. Mm. But the moment you draw on it, or they draw on it, you die. Yeah. Deal? No. 
Well, no, wait, no, let's not, not Carmen. Everyone has his, his or her price. <laughs> um, what if I gave you a billion dollars? No. The state of Texas. No. <laughs> the United States. The whole world. Now, that's his point here. Uh, if you have the whole world, if a man right. gains the whole world and loses your life, you know. Now, actually, I, I ran that by my wife, and she said, uh, uh, kind of like Jack Benny, when uh, uh, he got the longest laugh ever recorded on radio when he was a skin flint, you know, very cheap. Mm -hmm. This robber sees him on the street and says, your money or your life? It's this long pause, and the robber says, your money or your life? And Benny says, um, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to know Jack Benny to yeah, really grasp yeah, that, yeah. but yes. But anyway, the point here is <laughs> yes. uh, if you've lost your uh, life, um, uh, uh, the whole world, you know, what yes. is going to do you? Uh, That's what he's trying to say. And, and, and I think as we draw this to a conclusion uh, to, for today's podcast, I think one of the things that you've pointed out over and over again is that we sometimes confuse our position with our condition. And sometimes these passages get justification and sanctification uh, backwards. And, and in doing so, people think in order to get to heaven, they have to do all these things when in fact... Uh, to do all these things as part of their sanctification process, preparing them for that time they stand before the Lord. Correct? Oh, exactly. Uh, you know, I'm writing a book now on Ephesians, and I'm calling it Position and Condition, because the first three chapters are about our position in Christ in heavenly places. The last three chapters are about our condition on earth and our walk with God. Mm. And that walk, that word walk, is a, is a, a, a sign, a, a signal that we're switching from uh, position to condition. Uh, he actually says in that chapter, as he begins chapter 4, uh, therefore walk according to the calling by which you were called. And so that therefore is looking back at the first uh, three chapters. It's looking back at their position. And so he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So now he moves right into uh, our Christian life, our Christian walk. But the first three chapters are dealing with our position. And that's where in chapter 1, starting in verse 3, he just says, we have all these blessings, every spiritual blessing, in heavenly places where in Christ he says at the end of the chapter, we're seated at the right hand of God the Father in Christ. Well, our little finite pea-brain minds will never understand all that, how, how we could be seated at the right hand of the creator of the whole universe right. in Christ. It's a spiritual transaction that takes place mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. First uh, Corinthians 12, Romans 6 says we are in him. That's our position. But that's not our condition. And so uh, uh, if you get the cart before the horse, that is, say, the uh, uh, things in our condition or requirements for the right position, then, again, we get things all mixed up. Mm. We do the same thing with relationship and fellowship. Yes, um, yes. People I've talked to, uh, spent three hours one time talking to a scholar who believed that First John 1.9 was a confession uh, for salvation to go to heaven. Mm. And I pointed out to him the 
difference between relationship with God and fellowship with God. Yes. Verse yes. 3 and 4 mentioned fellowship, and he said he never even thought about those things. And so all the little passages in First John about loving your brother and mm-hmm. uh, walking in the light, he thought were conditions to go to heaven. Um, so it can get confusing. It, it can. And I think it's so important uh, that for our listeners to understand that uh, even on this program today, we only have just a short time to just really scratch the surface of these topics. We'd love to get your feedback about the discussion that we've had today on salvation. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. Email your questions or comments to saving at gsot.edu. It might be your comment that we share on a future podcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter. Talk to us there or get updates on new podcasts and events. Be sure to tell others about our podcast. It's a great way to introduce family and friends to grace. Thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to having you back next time as we continue our discussions that will be life-changing for you and your family. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 